Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now I want to read Luke chapter 15, because today we're going to be looking at that word pure. And as I've studied this passage and and gone through Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and I studied pure, I could think of no other passage that gets at the heart of what Paul is talking about with respect to being pure and purity than Luke chapter 15. And I'll explain to you that in a moment. But as I read this text, I'm going to read Luke 15, 1 through 2, then 11 through the end of the chapter. And as I read this text, I want you to observe how Jesus makes purity an important theme here. Now, the overall theme of Luke 15 is that of rejoicing. The the Pharisees are supposed to be rejoicing over the fact that uh, sinners are coming into the kingdom, but they're not. They're not rejoicing. In fact, they're bitter and angry that all of these sinners are coming into the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, what are you talking about? And he gives them three parables, and every parable is designed to say, you should be rejoicing that sinners, these people that are unclean, are coming into the kingdom. And why is it? that they are not rejoicing because of the impurity of their hearts. They cannot fathom that Jesus would love sinners that deeply and that much because they don't. They don't. And so in this passage, I want you to observe the subject or the, or the message of purity, specifically in the younger son, the older son, and the father. Um, all right, Luke chapter 15, let's begin. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Then drop down to verse number 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. It's one of the most beautiful scenes in all of Scripture, by the way. So he ran and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I have no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robes and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked that these things, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. And he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we are your people. You love us so deeply and profoundly. It's hard for us even to comprehend. Because you are perfect and holy, your love is perfect and holy. And you've given us these stories, these messages, to help us realize that central truth of the glorious gospel, that you love us far more than we can ever imagine. Holy Spirit, this is your people now. Comfort them with the message of the gospel, that they might live in such a manner that pleases you and that desires to be in fellowship with you. Be with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a young man and I heard uh, sermons on purity, I, I could probably like, put them all together in one sort of rhyme, right? Every time I heard messages on purity, it was always... Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't hang out with people that do, right? That is what purity was. And and then, of course, we talked about sexual purity and and the need to remain sexually pure. And then, you know, uh, maybe don't listen to bad music. But But the whole sum total of what purity meant when I was growing up and I heard sermons was don't do bad things. And the worst thing that you can do was probably have sex before you were married. And even in there, it was mostly towards the young ladies, which I found to be wrong. Found to be kind of sinful, right? Because it takes two to tango, and we, uh, the sermons that I heard, normally focus on one. And I felt like, wow, what's going on there? That doesn't make much sense, right? Both are impure. And the more I began to study the scriptures, the more I realized that that view of purity, just focusing on external actions, was not only narrow, not only narrow, but it was extremely graceless. Because you know what it produced? It produced the worst kind of self-righteousness and legalism. 
where people only focused on these particular actions. It wasn't like a whole bunch of actions, but it was just these particular actions. If you didn't do these particular things, then you were pure. If you, if you didn't fall into these kinds of sins, then you are pure, and you could consider yourself pure. The problem with that is that it's just far too narrow, and it's not the full scope of the gospel. In fact, one of the things that we realize from Philippians chapter 4, and we realize it in this passage, is that purity, when, when you talk about purity, is much more than the externals. It has to do with the disposition of the heart. That purity in and of itself has to do with not just what you do externally, but the way you think and live internally. Purity had to do with your motives, the disposition of the heart, your conscience, right? Freedom from guilt and sin. That's what purity meant. And there is no other text in the Bible that I could think of that illustrates this so profoundly and has more application than the story of the prodigal son. And there are four things I want to examine in this passage. First of all, I want to look at the impurity of the younger brother. Then I want to look at the impurity of the older brother, the purity of the father, and how is it that we could become pure. And these are very short, but the whole goal here is to not only give you an understanding of what it means to be pure and what God is calling us to when he talks about purity, but also how you and I can be pure before the father. So first of all, the impurity of the younger brother. It's right there in verse number 11 down to verse number 16. As we read this passage, uh, Kenneth Bailey, who wrote a book entitled Poets and Peasants, said something that just captured my heart. He said, as you read this text, this text is meant to be shocking and scandalous. Every aspect of it. And he, he not only says that, but he says, as you go through the passage, as Jesus tells the story of the younger brother... Each and every time he mentions something, it gets more and more worse. It just gets worse, and it keeps building. Notice in the text, this is true. The story starts off with this man having two sons, uh, Jesus mentions, and then he talks about one having a young, one of the younger sons coming to his father and asking for the property back. In other words, this is a violation of the fifth commandment which is pretty bad because he's asking for his share of the property, which Kenneth Bailey said, look, when you ask for your share of the property, essentially you're treating your father as if he was dead. As if he was dead, because you don't get your inheritance until the father is dead. So he's asking for that. But then Kenneth Bailey says it gets even worse than that because next he forces his father to divide the land and sell it. So he's giving up the inheritance that God has given him. Then it gets even worse because after that, it says after he sells it, he gathers all that he had and he went to a far country, meaning he wanted to get away as far as he can from the people of God and his family, giving up his covenant responsibilities. But then it gets even worse than that because then the text says that he takes all of his money and he spends it lavishly. Verse number 13 he squandered his property in reckless living, meaning he gave all that he had to these Gentiles. He spent it up. His brother said that he spent it on prostitutes. And the passage is giving this, this incredible picture of how 
the son, this younger son, has sinned and defiled himself. In fact, it was so shocking, the women probably were, were clutching their pearls and the men were like with stones in their hands saying, how can we stone this man, right? Look at how evil and wicked and impure he is. Like they were, they were outraged and that someone can be like this. In fact, Kennebelli says that there is no antecedent for this kind of behavior anywhere in literature. This, this entire scene is meant to create this picture of someone who is so impure, so far gone, so beyond help. But then it gets even worse because then Jesus brings in the pigs. Right? He brings in the pigs. I mean, it cannot get any worse than you selling off everything you have with reckless living. But then Jesus brings in the pigs. Jesus says that he went and he fed pigs and he ate the pig's husk. In Jewish law, it, it literally, this is what it says. It says, cursed is the man who raises pigs. In other words, impurity of the man that raises pigs. That eating the husk meant that he had finally hit Rock bottom. There was no help for him. Now he's with the pigs, that's it. He could be written off. That's what Jesus wanted us to see in the text. Now, let's ask ourselves a fundamental question. Why is Jesus painting this picture? This picture of depravity. This picture of uncleanness. The depths and the power of this uncleanness. Why would Jesus paint a picture so dire? Here's why. Jesus wanted everyone listening to this text to know this, that it doesn't matter how impure you are, doesn't matter what sins you commit, doesn't matter how frequently you commit them, you can always be made clean. That's what the power of the younger brother story means. It means that it doesn't matter what sins that are in your past, what sins that are in your present, what sins are in your future? Jesus has the power to make those sins clean. In fact, in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says, if you say that you have no sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of how many of your sins? All. All. And cleanse you of unrighteousness. Now, the Greek word for all means pontak. And somebody tell me, what does all mean? All. All. Isn't that cool? It means all. You know, some of us believe that all doesn't mean all. You know, I know some of us believe all doesn't mean all. Because how many times have you looked back in your life of something you did, and you think to yourself, surely Jesus can't forgive that. How many of us in this room are carrying the guilt and shame of past sins, even though you've confessed your sins, even though you've repented of those sins, but you still carry the guilt and shame of that sin? If you are still carrying the guilt and shame of confessed sins, then you don't understand that all means all. You don't understand that all means all. That verse, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, means all. He has the power to cleanse from all sins, and it doesn't matter what the sin is. You don't have to carry the guilt and shame of the sin because Jesus has captured all of those sins in himself. He has made you pure. You know, one of the things I realized about purity that just shocked me from the very beginning is this. Purity 
is about what Jesus Christ does to you, not what you try to do to yourself. Not what you try to do to yourself. There is nothing that you and I can do to make ourselves pure. It is completely by the work of Jesus Christ. That's the point of, of mentioning the younger brother in the depths of his sin. The reason why this is such an important point is because no one in that time thought, no Jew thought, that it was possible to recover from the sins of the younger brother. He had so defiled himself. He had so far gone off the deep end that nobody thought it was possible for him to be pure again. But the Bible says, you know what? It is possible through Jesus Christ. That's why at the very beginning, when the Pharisees were grumbling against the tax collectors and sinners, Jesus purposely constructed a story of these sinners and tax collectors that was so extreme, so outlandish, to point out the extremity of the gospel and the power of the gospel to make us clean. And if you're sitting there saying, Pastor, that's kind of scandalous, you're right. You're right. Now you're beginning to understand the gospel. Well, I, I think somebody, I can't remember who mentioned this, but somebody said, if you look at the gospel and you think that's outrageous, that's unbelievable, now you're starting to understand the power of the gospel. It is outrageous that Jesus would take sinners in the mara and mock of sin and raise them up and not only cleanse them and forgive them of what they did externally, through penal substitutionary atonement, but at the same time, he clears their conscience and says, you no longer have to feel the guilt and shame of that sin. It's all in the past. You've been made clean as if you have never done it. That's the power of the story of the younger brother. But I also need to point out the impurity of the older brother. Now, the impurity of the older brother is not seen in his external sins. It's seen in the internal disposition of his heart. The older brother is completely an outright self-righteous heart. He has a self-righteous heart. How is the self-righteous heart seen? First of all, notice the attitude he has towards the father in verse number uh, eight, uh, tw uh, 28. Um, the father kills the fatted calf, has this wonderful party for the younger brother, and he comes in, and the Bible says in verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. In other words, he's angry at his father. And notice the dialogue in verse 29 and 30. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Notice how he's treating his father. He's actually angry with his father that his father is so gracious. We're going to be studying the book of Jonah um, in uh, next month. And you see this in Jonah. At the end of Jonah, Jonah is furious with God. Why? Because he would dare to make the Ninevites clean. And in the same way, this older brother is looking at his father and saying, how dare you forgive this, uh, our younger brother, my younger brother, who is manifestly unclean. Why don't you just cast him away and throw him away? He's furious with the Father. Why is he furious with the Father? Because he's self-righteous. And here's what I know about self-righteous people, right? Self-righteous people always create a standard that nobody else can meet but them. 
It's an impossible standard. But the irony of that standard is the standard is always far low. Far too low. Right? Far too low. He's angry and frustrated with his father because his father wants to forgive. His father wants to make him clean, um, make the younger brother clean. But notice the second thing I want to point out. The impurity of the older brother is seen by the way he talks about his younger brother. Look at verse number 30. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property, your property of, uh, with prostitutes, you killed the, cat, uh, the fatted calf for him. Notice the way his impurity is manifested in the way he talks about the younger brother. Hear me today. As Christians, we need to be careful how we talk about the sin of other people because how we talk about the sins of other people and treat the sins of other people usually manifest our impurity. I mentioned this last week, but I am scandalized at the way Christians talk about unbelievers, particularly homosexuals. Look, I get it, right? We live in a society where it's, you know, if you're a conservative evangelical or if you're in the church, the sin that everyone wants to attack is homosexuality. But do you realize that the way we talk about sin, the way we talk about the sin of other people, is a direct reflection of who we are? Notice the disdain that the older brother has for his younger brother. This son of yours who's devoured your property with prostitutes. Notice the disdain that he has for him. Notice the way he's treating him. This is an example of an impure heart. And if you talk about the sin of other people like this, then you have an impure heart. The Bible never tells us to shame and badmouth and talk poorly about unbelievers. Nowhere do you see that in Scripture. The Bible instructs us as believers to pray for them and lament over the sin of other people not speak about it in a shameful, bad way. And this is exactly what the, younger bro- uh, the older brother was doing. The older brother's heart is filled, is filled with self-righteousness, is filled with all sorts of bitterness. He has an ungracious heart. He's frustrated. He's angry. These are the sins that are bound up in his heart. And let me say this. These are the sins that Jerry Bridges called respectable sins. Jerry Bridges wrote a book many years ago that was so transformative in my life, where he talks about these respectable sins. These aren't the sins that manifest itself externally. These are the sins of the heart. And here's what Jerry Bridges says, and this is the reason why he wrote the book called uh, Respectable Sins. He says, he has a growing conviction that those of us whom he calls conservative evangelicals, or just Christians in general, may have become so preoccupied with some of the major sins of our society around us that we have lost sight of the need to deal with our own more refined and subtle sins. Notice what Jerry Bridges is saying, that it's so easy for us to point at the really bad sins, the murderers, right? People that do really bad things in our society. They're the real uh, impure people. And we completely forget that those of us have respectable sins. Bitterness, latent anger, latent frustration. That's us. And can I tell you this? It wasn't the tax collectors. It wasn't the prostitutes 
and it wasn't the sinners that put Jesus on the cross. You know who put Jesus on the cross? It was those who had the respectable sins. It was the Pharisees. It was all the do-gooders. They're the ones that put Jesus on the cross. They're the ones that organized his arrest. They were the ones that put him on trial. They were the ones that used the Roman government to put him to death. It was the people who had the respectable sins that ultimately caused Jesus to die on the cross. Not the tax collector, not the sinners, not the prostitutes. And my fear, my fear is that even our opinion of America and our society, we fall into the trap in thinking that what's destroying America are all the really bad sins. Look at what all these people are doing out there, right? Look at how, um, you know, people are allowing this person to use this bathroom. And look at how people are allowing young boys and young girls to change their gender. America is going to hell. You know, what's going to put America in hell are the respectable sins. Because those are the sins that nobody focuses on. Those are the sins that no one writes articles about. And Christian, you need to be careful. Stop pointing at our culture and saying, those are the bad sins, without looking in the mirror and identifying the sins in our own hearts that's preventing us from praying and lamenting and really seeking to bring people into the kingdom. Now quickly, notice the purity of the Father. And this, this to me is the point of the sermon. Notice the purity of the Father. Okay, we've talked about impurity, and I, I, of course I don't want you to be impure. But I want to give you a positive rep representation of what purity looks like. Notice the purity of the Father. In this passage, over and over again, you see the purity of the Father by this one fact, that the sons were never, like his love for his sons was never based on his son's performance. Notice the integrity of his heart, that it was never about his sons being perfect. He was always in a posture of forgiveness. This is seen, um, this is seen if you drop down to verse number, verse number 18, when the younger son says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned I'm in heaven before you, and I no longer will be your son, I will be your servant. And he says, as he goes, in verse 20, as he goes to see the father, even when he was a long way away, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. New Testament scholar, there's New Testament scholars say that what makes this uh, verse, verse 20, so profound is that uh, men in that society never ran. They never run. It was undignified. Only women ran. But the fact that Jesus is picturing the father running towards his son, even though his son had committed all of these impurities, show that it was never about him. It was never about him uh, being a good father. It was never about him worrying about his reputation. He doesn't worry about his reputation. His motives towards his son were always pure. He always was in a posture to forgive them and to love them. That could not be said of the younger brother and the older brother. It's clear from this text that the, older bro the younger brother only wanted to please his father so he can get his inheritance when he came of age. 
And it was clear in this text, if you drop down to verse 29 and 30, that the older brother only served his father because it reflected good on him. Look at how I've served you all these years. Look at all the things that I've done. His motives were impure because he only cared about himself, not about loving and pleasing the father. That's, that shows the purity of the father. But not only that, the purity of the father is seen by the fact that only the father could have restored the younger brother. Nobody else. You know, in the Old Testament, it's always the case that the unclean person made the clean person impure. Always. If you look at the Old Testament, if you were unclean, if you were impure, and you touched someone or were around somebody who was clean, you made them unclean. But in this passage, what was so shocking is that when this impure, this, this sinner came to his father, his father had the ability to restore him. The father called, and he killed the fatted calf. The father came and gave him a ring and a cloak and shoes to show that he was fully restored. That's the power of the father, to completely restore us and to make us pure. And the same thing is true now, how our heavenly father is always in a posture to receive you if you but come to him. Now quickly, how do we become pure? How do you and I become pure? Well, you and I become pure by repentance. And again, verse 18, 19, and 20. It's so important. If you look at verse number 18, it's uh, the, the son, uh, sorry, verse number 17. It said that the, the younger son came to himself, and then he formulated a plan in verse number 18. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. How do you and I become clean? How do you and I stay clean? Through repentance. Hear me today. As a pastor right? I'm going to give you a pastor hack. As a pastor, whenever I'm talking to people, I'm talking about their sin, or I'm talking about something going on in their life, I always listen whether or not they are repentant. You know why? Because if you are self-righteous, you will not repent. If your heart is impure, you will not repent. If you think you're in the right and you've done nothing wrong, you will never repent. And any time you talk to somebody, if they are unrepentant of their sin, if they're unrepentant of what they've done wrong, that shows a lack of purity in their heart. Because now they're depending on their righteousness rather than the righteousness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's no way around that. Even the most, in, in, at least in this passage, the one who is most impure, the Bible says, became clean as a result of repentance. In fact, what Jesus was saying that was so incredible is this, that the younger brother was a man after God's own heart, and the older brother was not. Why? Because he repented. Look at Psalm 51, when David says, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and purify me. In David's repentance, he received cleansing. Because repentance is the vehicle for cleansing. You and I cannot be made clean if we do not repent. And by the way, Martin Luther, the very first um, thesis that he wrote was that you and I should live a lifestyle of repentance. Daily repentance before the Lord. Daily asking the Lord to make us clean. Now, big takeaway. What is the big takeaway? The big takeaway is this. Strive for purity outwardly and internally. 
Strive for it. Repent. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Realize daily that Jesus Christ, who was pure, became impure so that you can become pure. You cannot make yourself pure by trying to hold on to your external acts of righteousness. It will never work, and in fact, it will manifest your impurity even more. It's when we humble ourselves and come before the Lord and repent and ask Him to forgive us, even of, even of our righteousness, even of the good that we do, because the motives behind those things are often impure. Even the motives behind us being parents, and this is confession time, sometimes I parent so I don't look bad. That's it. That's my only motivation sometimes. Sometimes I go to work and I strive to do a good job only because I want it to reflect good on me. Even the righteousness that I want to accomplish at times are nothing but filthy rags before the Lord because they lack the purity of heart and mind. That's what we see with the older brother. And that's what we often see with us. What's the only cure of that? Repentance. Asking the Lord to give us a pure heart and a pure mind, even in the motives behind what we do, so that they could be pure before him. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that your word is so clear that even though we have committed sin, even though we have committed unrighteousness, even though that often we stray, you are the loving Heavenly Father that always brings us back. That in this matter of purity, there is no sin we can commit. There's no depth of sin that we can go into that you are not able to make us pure again. Father, forgive us even of our own righteousness that lacks the purity of motive. Forgive us of those times in which we do things where we only wanted to reflect positively on us and not seek to give you the glory. Father, thank you that you've created the mechanism, the mechanism of repentance. That as we humble ourselves before you and confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. And you are the one that does the cleansing, not ourselves. Father, forgive us of our sins, both the external and internal. Make your people pure so that we can live holy and righteous lives before you and glorify you as you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.